All right, welcome to another Extra Features special edition. This is our annual spooky October Halloween movies episode. I'm Doug. I'm Simon, and I don't know how I get suckered into doing these every year for the guy that's probably not the big horrors fan on the show. <laughs> uh, you love it. You just love watching movies. and I do. I will fully give you watching movies. So I got a report for you. So... Quick story, this happened the other night, so this is fresh, nobody's heard this story. So my daughter's getting into horror, like I was not into horror her age, I will fully admit that. I gave her a pile of DVDs that I hadn't watched, I said, why don't you pick one of these and we'll watch it together, right? Because I don't care. So she picked this uh, Shutter exclusive I got called The Night Shifter. So I mean, I know nothing about it because I don't read anything, we put it on. Well, halfway through the movie, I realized it was dumb pretty badly. So it looks like it's a Spanish movie dubbed okay. into English, and it's an hour 50 long, and nothing has happened in the first hour of interest. One thing, maybe, I'm like, this is painful. Like, absolutely painful. And we hit about the hour mark, and her friend was coming over, she looks at me, Dad, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so we have not finished The Night Shifter, so I suspect it's on my Twitter, that's Extra Features Podcast on Twitter, if people don't know that. And they can send me email at extrafeatures at gmail.com, but nobody ever does, so I don't really care. So that's going to bring up another point before we get into the movies. Okay. Doug, we, yes, we always have people we need to know. We do text a lot, me and you, behind the scenes. Yes, yes, we do. Like, we, we just we talk about everything, kids, this and that. And then Doug got in his head that he needed to, because I always tell Doug he has a haunted window behind him. It's where this comes from. Yes. And so he decided to show me all his haunted items he has collected over the years. Not me, my wife. That they're oh, my they're, most, no, no. Some of those items are yours. A few, but the haunted items are my wife's. Holy crap. I'm never going into your house. <laughs> then it works. That was the most disturbing <laughs> thing I'd ever seen. She has like these. Wet specimens and dry specimens, I think she yes. said it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, dry specimens are like bones or parts of the skeleton that are dry. Uh, wet specimens like a sheep's or calf's brain that we have, it's in formaldehyde, so that's a wet specimen. I, this stuff is possessed. Why is it in your house? Because it's cool. It's, no, it's, it's not. Needs to get out. Haunted. Nah, none of the haunted stuff that we apparently have has caused any hauntings in our house. We have a no box, what? a couple mirrors, some um, dolls, all supposedly haunted. Nothing has happened in our house. One hundred percent, you're lying. You're <laughs> trying to trick people to come into your house and see these haunted things. People, listen to me. I've seen the video. They're haunted. All of it. <laughs> I, I can assure you I have not witnessed any hauntings in this house. See, much to my wife's kids. chagrin. How, how much you paid your kids off to see nothing? <laughs> we don't have that much money. <laughs> Trust us, if we had actual hauntings, we'd be we we would be shouting that to the rafters. But I'm telling so you, I nothing. know there's hauntings there, you just haven't discovered them yet. One hundred percent. <laughs> and also, before we get to the movies, this man is rocking a Criterion hat, which you guys cannot see. Yes. Now, why are we wearing a Criterion hat to a podcast about horror? 
because Criterion puts out a lot of great horror films. I'll be okay. I'll be blunt. Are you anything else but blunt? Are you trying to be me? I'm charming and witty and handsome, but <laughs> that is very true and short, surprisingly. Yeah, well, five five eight. So yeah, I guess okay. on the shorter side. What people don't know is when I first met Doug, he sent me a photo of the family on his Facebook. And Doug's wife looks like she's average height, I would argue. So I sent Doug a message saying, hey, Doug, how tall are you? Because your <laughs> wife looks very tiny. Doug said, you're an idiot, Simon. I'm not that tall. My wife is tiny. So yes. I thought that was funny. My wife is under five foot tall. So Yeah, so that kind of... I'm just hard to believe, but I do believe it. See, hence the haunting. I'm convinced she's a dwarf or a witch or something. Maybe she's like that, the ring chick. No, she 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 wouldn't like the well. She wouldn't want to climb out. Okay, just I need to check before I even dare to come into your house. And uh, just as a warning, we spoil things here. We do, but I have one last question, people, because we always like to have fun preamble before we get into anything. Have you, I think it's called White Mass Hamburgers. Do I have the right name? White Mana. I, Jersey I, City and some point in Hoboken. I have not had them. I, I have Oh, well, I'm disappointed, them. man. I found you some New Jersey stuff. <laughs> I bring it up. Figured you had been there. Nope. Now you're right. Sorry. Yeah, get into the films. I'm done. I have no more preamble for you. All right. So we are. Oh, wait. Starting. I lie. Oh. I did get a film festival pass again this year to the After Dark Film Festival. Now, I guess I'll tell this funny story. I never applied for it. I applied last year for one, and they just sent me one this year. So thank you, After Dark Film Festival, for reminding me that I needed a film festival pass. <laughs> So, so what's our first the, film? I guess so. It's the latest in the Halloween franchise, Halloween Ends, uh, written by David Gordon Green, uh, Danny McBride, Paul Brad Logan, Chris Brenner, and starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Andy Matichak, and Rowan Campbell as Corey. So... Like I said, this is the latest uh, in the Halloween franchise. Apparently, it's the ending of the Halloween franchise. I'll believe that when I see it. No, it's uh, not. I, I do believe this could be the ending of Laurie Strode's story, perhaps. I think it is. Uh, I, I don't think there's enough money in the world to bring Jamie Lee Curtis back to this franchise after this. But uh, we'll see in the future. Who knows? I will be honest, when I first watched this movie, I'm not sure how I felt about it. Uh, I, I think it had a lot more on its mind than being a straightforward slasher film. I'm just not sure if what it wanted to say stuck with me. Uh, I, I think it wanted to talk about generational trauma, about... Uh, how essentially we will create the boogeyman if there isn't one, if there isn't actually a boogeyman to be afraid of, society will want to create one. Uh, I don't know. I, I just did not have as much fun with this movie as I have with past Halloween films. Uh, of the new trilogy, I think the first one 
was probably a near-perfect Halloween film. Not a near-perfect film, but a near-perfect Halloween film. And the next two, I think, really had stuff they wanted to say. I'm just not sure if they said it correctly or, or said it where the audience would understand it. Uh, what did you feel about this film, Simon? Well, I this is probably, if we had to pick my favorite creature feature, I would argue, besides Invisible Man, which I think it just has wonderful films constantly throughout, Halloween's the best of the new franchises. It beats Friday the 13th. The first five in the series are just phenomenal films. They all work. Friday's a joke, so this is the thing. Um, I do agree with the international trauma. You know what the worst part of this film is? Is listening to Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, my God. She goes off with some weird tangents in interviews, just bizarre tangents. And she's into this trauma thing. I'm like, I, I don't see it. Like, this is supposed to be a film. I'm supposed to enjoy it. I'm supposed to be entertained. But Jamie Lee Curtis seems to have this whole depth of Laurie Strauss, which I've never received from the character. I mean, I understand she has trauma, and she's, you know, that kind that, of stuff. That, that could be internalized with the actress. That Jamie Lee Curtis could be internalizing all that stuff. I just kind of want to see that in the screenplay, because it's certainly not showing up here. I think part of my big problem was the vacillations in Laurie Strode, Uh in the beginning, we see her wanting to get past the trauma of losing her family except for her granddaughter. We, uh, but then all of a sudden, by the end, she's the Terminator again. She's the woman she was in the first uh, film of this new trilogy where she has a gun. She's drawing out Michael. She's, she's like I said, being the Terminator. I didn't get the shifts in the character for her this film uh, uh, I didn't see what the trigger was I, I guess you could argue it's when she looks out the window and sees Corey behind the bushes that mirrored how Michael was in the, the 78 film that could have been the trigger I just didn't see it myself that way I, I didn't see how that would change Laurie Schrode into the killer that she was at the end of this film. I agree. Now, I understand, number one, and then we're, we're here. So we've had eight hours with Laurie Schrode now. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why she couldn't move on with her life. The trauma, I mean, Michael disappeared for years. She knew where he was. He was in the mental asylum. I mean, obviously, she had a kid with somebody. You know, like, it just seems as soon as Michael goes out, something tricked, and she goes right back to crazy mode, and I have to catch him and do that, and she has this trauma. And I'm like, I get trauma, but, I mean, you're in survival mode. I don't think you're in trauma mode. I really think this film thing, but this film doesn't explain any of that. It goes to, who's Rory, your grandson? Uh, oh, he's dating your granddaughter. Rory. Yes. Rory's dating the granddaughter. This guy is boring. I have no interest in this guy. I don't want to spend time even with this guy. This film takes about an hour and 15 minutes to show Michael Myers hanging out in a drainage pipe. Yeah, I, and I will be honest. I didn't get her daughter or granddaughter's 
uh, infatuation with this guy. There's nothing I, I, other than he thinks she's cute. I get it. She's attracted yeah. to him. But that's it. Yeah. I, 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 there's so many other men in Haddonfield she could have, you know, had relationships with. But I, I didn't get the attraction to this creepy uh, person who was accused of murder. And I really don't think those kids got their just desserts. You know, the kids that gave them a problem and threw them off the bridge? Oh, you, you mean the the bully band nerds? What's Which the point of that? The, I guess you needed characters that Corey could kill when he takes on the Michael Myers persona and not feel bad about their deaths. So I guess these bullies got what they deserved in some way. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I thought Michael would come up and just behind him and just wreck them for some reason and then chase him around for a moment. No, nope. he goes down to the sewer and hangs out with him. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like the Muppet show? Like they find some weird Muppet thing, they want to hang out with him, he's all angry? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, Of the new trilogy, this movie worked the least for me. Uh, it doesn't work on any level for me. Okay. I mean, some some of it was, like, some of the kills were fun. Uh, I would just have to pretend that it was actually Michael Myers and not Corey cosplaying as Michael Myers. Uh, the radio DJ, if that was actual Michael Myers doing that, that would have been fun. Uh, but as it was, it was kind of just uh, lackluster, I would say. It did... Uh, I guess the motivation is that he was mean to Corey somehow by telling him not to hang out on the roof. I mean, I think he was well within his rights to tell him that. But I don't know. This movie just didn't work for me as much as the other two in the trilogy did. My problem with this is not a Michael Myers film. It's a film about trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're trying to express, like trauma Corey has by dealing with bullies, trauma the the, the granddaughter has, loss of her mother, the trauma Lori's throat has, can't find a boyfriend, everybody hates her, and this and that. I like, I got that, but I don't care. I don't want to see a movie about trauma. I want to see a movie about Michael Myers. And in a way, it it also showed that how strong a character Lori Strode is by the fact that, you know, the rest of the town hates her, but she never went the path that Corey went. Corey was hated because in the beginning of the film, a kid he was babysitting, uh, he accidentally kills. And that was a that, great scene. Yeah, that, that, that was a fun way to open the movie. I thought, uh, but Lori never went the route that Corey did. Lori never became a killer herself. Uh, she focused all her energy on Michael. He took his vengeance out, I guess, on the town or the people he felt wronged him. Because really the only people he kills are the bullies, uh, the doctor and nurse who were mean to him and uh, I forget Lori's granddaughter's name uh, and the DJ who was who told him to stop 
hanging out on my roof, which I get. Well, I'm sure. Like, I, saw, I show up at my house, and you come over with your family, no problem. You're in the pool, hanging out. You take my ladder from the garage and get up on my roof. <laughs> I right, and I tell your kid, "Hey, get get off the roof, man!" Like yeah. he's about to jump in the pool. I'm like, buddy, no, 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 no. Like, come down. You're more than welcome to play in the pool. I'm not mad at you. Just, I, I think it's dangerous. Ten years later, like next week, a kid goes nuts and comes and kills me. Can I ask him to get off my roof? Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, I, I, I did not buy Corey's motivation for killing everyone. I'm sure you being you would be like, oh, my God, thank you for getting my son off your yeah. roof. I don't know why he did that, but I'd be like, hey, it happens. Not every day. I've never seen it happen before, <laughs> but I just didn't want him to hurt himself. It was more of a health and safety thing here, not opposed to I'm being a dick to you, get off my lawn. <laughs> Please get off the roof. So I do want to just get into the end of this film, which I think is phenomenal. Okay. I did like the last 20 minutes. I thought were great. I really did enjoy that. I thought that was good when they take him out. I'm like, okay, I got it. This is what I've been waiting for for an hour and a half. Like, that is pretty vicious, man. When they get him in the kitchen, they start putting him through with steak knives. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm in. I go, this is the best part of the film. And as soon as I saw the uh, industrial grinder at the beginning of the film, like, oh, somebody's getting thrown into that, whether yes. Michael throws somebody in there. I, I will be honest, I was not expecting it to be Michael himself, but I was expecting somebody to get thrown into it. I did think it was funny, because this is just me being me, where they put Michael on top of the car, and mm -hmm. they're driving him off. I'm like, oh, it's Grandma from vacation. <laughs> and I'm like, that's just the way my brain goes. So I'm kind of like, okay, Michael's dad, we're going to finish off this. So Corey's just going to pick it up then. It's Corey's dead have, now. I know. So are they going to bring him back somehow? Is he going to get resurrected like Jason and Jason 5, I think it is, or 4? I think it was six. No. Well, who, when does What's-His-Face come back? Um, no, it was six. Cause four six, was, he comes back? Four was the final chapter. Five was... It's a random guy that died recently. It, yeah, the, in the, the camp or whatever, the guy pretended to be Jason. And then six was... It's when he digs him up. And he gets hit up, by yeah. lightning comes back. So he's very yeah. excited. I'm convinced he's a Frankenstein monster still because he gets hit by lightning. Okay. As our argument continues, and I still can't yes. figure out what Jason is. It's really <laughs> bugging me because I don't know. So does this franchise have a hope to continue? I mean, if it makes money, I guess they are going to continue it somehow. Oh, yeah, as long as there's an Akkad financing Michael Myers or Halloween will be back. I, just I think wish that without Laurie. I think they're just going to do a reboot, a general soft reboot. Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe a hard reboot. I mean, they could just make a new storyline. Yeah, I, I think that would be the way to go in the future. Just maybe avoid the Rob Zombie nihilism. Oh, God, we're not getting a Rob Zombie today, are we? No, 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 no. Because no. I think we've had, at least I personally have had enough of Rob Zombie. Yes. I've given him ample opportunity to make films. Ample. You know, maybe he should go back and drive around his Dragula for a while. Because <laughs> I'm just not impressed. I mean, I did, let's go side story. I did see White Zombie live. 
Okay. Being a big zombie fan. They do not translate well to stage. Okay. I was like disappointed. I'm like, this is rough. You guys are a studio band. So was Soundgarden to me. When I saw Soundgarden live. Like they're a studio band. See, I saw I saw Rob Zombie open for Ozzy Osbourne. And it wasn't bad. I, I actually thought he put on a good live show, Rob Zombie. Did nothing for me, but it's all right. Neither did Pumpkins the first time I saw them. Then I saw them again and loved them, so. Okay. Who knows? But that's, let's see, Pumpkins, Halloween, so I'm wrapping this in. <laughs> so let's go to one of my, I, I'd say, roughest franchises ever, which okay. the history of some of the worst films ever put out. So we're going with Hellraiser, uh, the 2022 version. How would you know? <laughs> because I, you said worst movies in a franchise, and I just assumed. Uh, so let's see. This one's written by Ben Collins, Luke Petrosky, David Goyer, directed by David Bruckner, starring Odessa Azion, Jamie Clayton, Adam Faison, Drew Starkey, and Brendan Flynn. Uh, I'll let you start off with the, with this Hellraiser romp. Um, I don't know. Like, people say this is a Hellraiser film. I really don't think it's a Hellraiser film. I really think it was started as something else, and then Hellraiser was manipulated into this. Because Hellraiser seems to really be the end caps of the film. And obviously, I mean, the middle film, they find the cube. But it could have been anything those people found, is my Fair. argument. I mean, I really don't feel this is a Hellraiser film. I really think because of the way it says. They put the stuff at the beginning of Hellraiser, stuff at the end is Hellraiser. I get that. Stuff in the middle is like, it's not really Hellraiser. Obviously, it is and it isn't. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was solid. But I'm like, okay, people are like, oh, it's best film since the first one. I'm like, wait a second. The first one's phenomenal. Great first film, great story, gritty. Very gritty storytelling. Here it's a little clean. I feel it's, I say it's my daughter's Hellraiser. Does that make sense? They've cleaned it up. They make it nice and clean, smooth. What the kids are looking for nowadays. They're not after me anymore. They're like, that guy's done with Hellraiser, (laughs) but we need a new generation. So we'll give them a young kid. She's probably like 19 to 21, I'm guessing, the lead actor. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's, let's let her use her phone. Let's make her a little drug thing. Something the kids can relate to. Not that they're into drugs, just that they like those kind of films. Mm-hmm. She'll have a bad boyfriend that's kind of cute. You know what I mean? I'm getting in like, okay, I'm going to let this go. Let's see what we can do with the Hellraiser. I mean, the beginning of the film, they're just introducing characters. Yeah. Showing you what the Cenobites do. Introducing you to the Hell Priest. I'm kind of like, who doesn't show up in the first scene? They just kill him. Like, okay, because I kind of get annoyed with that. Cause I, when they got the kills in Hellraiser in the films of all of them, I love when the Hell Priest shows up. It just you see it, it goes, and I felt it didn't have that grittiness I wanted. But maybe that's just me watching too many horror films and not liking it clean like they do now. I find Smile, which we'll get to in a later episode, has that cleanness that I see a lot from these films. And the end was good. I mean, did I hate it? No, I thought it was pretty solid. But I want the next one, if they do another one, to build on this. I want more. I want the Cinnabites to do more than just stand there going, Hi, you're not going this way. Oh, no, I'm going to run around the corner. There's the Cinnabite again. Oh, no, I'm going to run this way. I'm like, 
Did you guys watch how the Cinnabite would have eaten that thing alive, done something to it? Yeah. So, again, it's a solid entry, but not good. Yeah, I, I, I will be on. I did like this movie. Yeah, I, I liked it. I didn't, no think it was, I didn't think it was a Hellraiser film. Uh, for me, what it was missing was that dark sexuality that Clive Barker brings to his stories. Which we get in two. I think two is a much more of what we're after from Hellraiser is two, which is friggin' dark as hell, too. Yeah, this one, it like you said, it was clean. Uh, it didn't have the real pleasure, pain aspect that I think Clive Barker brings to the story. Here, it was kind of, I guess, all pain. Uh, I, I'm not really sure what they were kind of going for. I, I guess it was uh, the guy from ER. I forget the actor's name. I apologize. Uh, Wait, there's somebody from ER in the show? Movie? Yeah. Uh, Who did he play? Uh, oh, he, the guy? The guy yeah. they had to find? Yeah, the guy. The house? Yeah, who owned the house. Uh, Should I let you in on a secret? My wife loves ER. I've never seen an episode. I don't watch medical shows. Okay. Uh, Gorin, Gorin uh, Vizhnik. Did uh, not he, recognize him in any way. He played Voight, the guy who... Yeah, in the house and stuff. Uh, I know who he has to be, but I have no idea who that guy is. He could have been walking down my street last week, and I wouldn't know who he was. Uh, yeah, so I, I get from his perspective, he just wants the knowledge. But I got that too. But, but I it don't, didn't. It didn't have the pleasure pain principle. It, I think him, he wants more than knowledge because he knows everything. I think secretly he wants to go there. Yeah, I get that, but he didn't want to pay the price, which is why he had, uh, he duped Evers. other people into. Did he dupe them though? I think at times he didn't dupe them. I think at times there's some financial access going behind our back, cause he's loaded. Yeah, and, and when I say by duping, I mean he would pay the people and mm-hmm. they wouldn't know that they were actually gonna sacrifice their life for his knowledge or whatever. Uh, so I, I saw this was more about knowledge quest than the pain-pleasure principle of uh, Barker's version. I find this is kind of going the Predator route. I have so many questions about the Predator. What do they do in the home world? Do they have board meetings like Hellraiser, Cinnabites. What do they do down there? I want to go to hell. I know we did in two or three we went to hell, but I want to go back. I think there's more to this. I want to know what the purpose of the Cinnabites are. I didn't say I could summon them to kill people. I got that. But do they give me anything other than pain? Well, from what I gather, they're the priests of hell. Like, he wasn't called Pinhead to begin with. He was just hell priest. Yes. So they they are about... They're the priests of hell. They, they, so from my understanding, they don't see themselves as evil. They are giving the sacrament. Uh, just as you would go to a church on Sunday, uh, their sacrament, though, in hell, I guess, is pain. And your pain uh, shows your devotion to, to the Lord. And so that's what I get from Cenobites. 
this movie, they were just kind of straightforward monsters. I didn't get that Which religious is not the aspect. Yeah, I didn't get the religious aspect or the dark sexuality of the Cenobites with this I agree. film. I, I think it was, like you said, just a modern update on it where kids today, they don't really want the sexuality of it because there's always debates now. Are sex scenes needed for movies? Uh, I personally believe yes and no. Some movies need sex scenes. Some don't. You're not going to see a sex scene in a in a Marvel film aside from The Eternals, but I would argue that wasn't really needed. Uh, but for something like a Hellraiser movie, I do think, yes, sex scenes are needed, and they now have, you know, intimacy coordinators who can certainly help make it comfortable for all involved to film. Why not use them and go dark, go Go darkly sexual, which is what old school Hellraiser fans want. My argument is they could have made this an R and done that no problem. That's I what think, we I think it was rated R. Was this rated R? It had some pretty gnarly... Uh, yeah, it's a light R. I would say it's a light R. Hellraiser 1's a hard R. Yes. No doubt in my mind. I mean, Exorcist is a hard R to me. There's some pretty crazy things in The Exorcist, and now they're remaking that. I'm like, guys, you're going to screw this one up. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of remakes, and we only get, we're not doing this one, people, so I'm just going to say, did you watch the Terror Train remake? I did not. So, I okay, maybe we'll play that to a later date in our Terror Train. Uh, okay. Thanks, and I'll wait till you put it on the list. Are we moving on, sir? Yeah, I, I think I heard about a girl who walks home alone at night. Yeah, which I seem to have a lot of problems trying to find on streaming. <laughs> but you found it eventually. Oh, my God. It was a nightmare. I figured this is one of these films that's been on my list forever. We're doing horror fast. I said, you know what? I need to watch this. People tell me great things about it. I went through everything. Could not find it on any of my Apple. Wow. I had to pay for it on Apple. My Amazon didn't have it in Canada. Tubi does not have it in Canada. Wow, yeah, it's on Tubi in the States here. Not here. Guess where I found it? YouTube. Okay. I finally found this film on YouTube. I'm like, oh, my God, I finally watch, can watch this. So I think it's a beautiful-looking film, absolutely stunningly filmed. Yes. Not very interesting, but stunningly filmed. <laughs> See, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I, I, I liked where that it was something different uh, to see. Because normally when I think of vampires, I think of you know Christianity and stuff. This all took place in Iran. And Iran is not a Christian nation. So to see a vampire outside of that, I really liked it. I, I, I liked what it was going for. Like you said, it was beautifully shot. Uh, there was just one scene I did not understand at all. Uh, okay, let's just say the same problem with the same scene. The scene with the balloon. Okay, different scene for me. I did not get what they were going for with, or what the director was going for with the balloon scene. What was your take on that? I, 
It was just a scene. I don't know. I okay. just think it was more for aesthetic. I find a lot of this film is shot for aesthetics. Okay. Just to make it look nice. And I think that was it. So maybe you can help me out. You know the scene where the dad knocks all the photos off? Mm-hmm. And kicks them out. I'm like, is that just to set up the end? Probably, yeah. I, I think... Uh... Weak is sh- weak. He's caring for his dad all these years. And suddenly just gives up and goes, okay, I'm done. Get out. Well, I, I, I think it was kind of a culmination. The father was a big-time heroin addict. Yes. And I, I think it was just the final straw. Normally, it would be the reverse. The father kicking out the son who's an addict. This It was just a reverse. The son feeling like, okay, I've had enough. You You've done this so many times in my life. I can't take it anymore. Uh, I'm done caring for you. I just didn't care. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I just, I got bored. I was getting bored as the film kept going on. I'm like, this is not holding my attention. Other than it's beautiful. Like that scene where they're at the amusement park and he gives her the earrings with the, it makes her brick mm-hmm. her ears. I'm like, that was really good. I'm like, hey, I like this. The scene with the uh, the pimp talking to the hooker. In the car, phenomenal. Another good scene. I just feel this film was trying to get to the ending. By about the hour 20 mark, it was running out of steam and just had to kind of finish it off. See, I really like just the visual of her on the skateboard gliding down the road. So cool. Because you think of vampires gliding around. This gave a practical reason how or a practical showing of how they would do that, just gliding on the scape. I, I thought that was gorgeous. Oh, I agree with you. I think it's just a beautiful film. I really think you should just take the subtitles off, turn the sound down, and just run this as a silent yeah. film. I really don't think it needs dialogue because I don't think any of the dialogue is needed, really. Because, yeah. I mean, I think you can get the story without. Mm-hmm. Thing, your balloon thing would fit perfectly in that. Just going, ooh, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could see that as kind of a change of pace scene. I really think she film. looks a lot like Tchaikovsky's Stalker at times, without the okay. wide shots. I mean, st- his is all wide, long, and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I find hers are just beautiful depth. Maybe an Ozu, maybe a little bit better. Okay. Because an Ozu's more of a city guy with shadows, and maybe that. And people are like, oh, you're comparing her to one of the greats. Well, I am, because this film is beautiful. Yeah. And, and she hasn't really done that many feature films. She's done a lot of TV work, from what I looked Which up. Which is surprising to me, but maybe, I mean, you gotta go where your bread is buttered, right? If she's getting TV yeah. work and getting paid, do it. Yeah, she has a new one coming out, uh, or it just came out, Mona Lisa and the Full Moon or something like that. Well, I will watch it for sure. Yeah. So, do you recommend this film to people? Like, if somebody asked for something different, would you recommend this, or would you go somewhere else? I I will be honest. I I don't normally recommend this to just standard people just looking for recommendations. I, I think that this is a hard one to recommend because it mm-hmm. is slow. Uh, it's If I know the person is a film fan and not just looking for a way to kill two hours with fun, I would recommend it as something different. But if you're looking for a fun thing to watch, I would actually probably recommend our next movie over this one. And our next movie would be? 
It is Tucker and Dale versus Evil, uh, written and directed by Eli Craig, starring Tyler Labine, Alan Tudyk, Katrina Bowden. So, when you go to recommend people, you're telling me you recommend this film to people? Is it because of Alan Tudyk? Yeah, and also, it's just a fun movie to watch. It, it doesn't make you think too hard. No, it uh, definitely does not make me think. <laughs> the story, I thought, I thought the story was fun. I thought the effects were on the gruesome but funny side. Uh, I, I just have a blast with this movie. I, I think it's a fun way to spend an hour and a half. Uh, you, you got the humor of the people accidentally killing themselves. Uh, yeah, I, I will be honest. I do recommend this movie to people. I have in the past, and I will I, in the future. And what do they come back and tell you, these people? Or do they tell you? They usually say, yeah, we had fun with it. I, I tell them it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's a fun way to kill 90 minutes, especially this time of year. Oh, my God. I found this to be a grind, just so you know. Really? I couldn't get into it. I tried hard. I am shocked. I hated those stupid kids so much. <laughs> they annoyed okay. me. I'm like, I like Tucker and Dale. We're great. Okay. They made me laugh. And the one chick that hung out with them from 30 Rock, she, she was good. Okay. But I'm like, until the final 15 minutes when I finally go, okay, I know where this <laughs> film's going. I'm just like, I hate these kids. This could be solved with just a simple conversation. Yeah, just but don't the, talk. But that's, that's the whole point of the movie. They're that's not going to have that conversation. funny when, when they're jumping after him and end up in the wood chipper by accident. <laughs> and Tucker and Dale are thinking, oh, my God, this must be some weird cult where they're killing themselves in front of us. I tried, I, Doug. I, I thought tried. it was fun. I, I laughed. I had fun with it. So, hang on. Alan Tudyk is Dale, right? Uh, I believe he plays Dale, yeah. Okay, Tucker's uh, no, in... No, he plays Tucker. Okay, Alan Dale Tudyk is a Tucker. moron. Dale was driving me nuts at times. I'm like, you can't be this dumb. He really cannot be that dumb. I don't know. I tried. I don't know what to say. This is not for me, but maybe it's just... I don't know. I was watching this going... Couldn't he put on, like, Shaun of the Dead? I think I would have enjoyed that more, because that's more my <laughs> kind of comedy. Okay. But I guess each his own. But I get why you like this film. I'm not saying it's badly produced, badly made. <laughs> I just got to the point going, I don't like these teens at all. I think they're dumb. I just want to hack them up personally. Well, they're, they're cannon fodder. The they are, are, and I knew fodder. that. I kind of got that after the first <laughs> one died. I'm like, oh, I get where we're going with this film. The the only death that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is the guy who ran into the tree branch. Oh, I God. I, I honestly don't think a human could run fast enough to impel themselves. In gore? I, I completely yeah. threw him. I'm like, mm, Yeah, okay. I, I don't think anybody could run that fast. Uh, so but that, I understand it's a movie. Yeah. Then they killed the sheriff. I'm <laughs> like, yeah. it's just getting worse and worse for me. It, it it was a cartoon. It was a live action yes, cartoon. That in was my it. Mind. It was a live action cartoon. I don't know what to say. I tried hard to like this. That's fine. Uh, not not every. Movie and I like Alan Tudyk. I think Alan Tudyk's wonderful. Yes. And just nothing for me. I was like, I don't know what to tell Doug for this. 
I just it was too comical for me. Maybe I like my horror a little more horrific. Okay. I don't know what I want. I maybe I like I mean have the deaths I like. That's my problem. I like death, I like destruction, it's all here. Mm-hmm. But I guess the storyline was just a little too silly until the end. Okay. Like I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm not saying don't watch this people. I'm saying it's just different. Maybe that's my issue. It's not what I come to expect from what I like. Yeah, this one definitely more comedy than horror. It, it right. definitely leans in that direction. So is this one you own on your shelf? You're like, oh, here you go. Take yep. it out for the night. It is. I, I actually got my Blu-ray signed by Alan Tudyk at a convention a few years ago. So How yeah. is Alan Tudyk? It's something I haven't met because I want to meet him for dodgeball. Oh, he he was wonderful. He, he he talked with me and Owen for, you know, a couple of minutes. You don't have a lot of time to chat at conventions, but he talked with us for a few minutes, and he was a really nice guy. I think I'd be the worst convention guy ever because I would just go, yeah, just stand here. No one talk to me. Go ahead. Stand right here and just talk, and I'll just let me keep signing. And if you want to talk, just get in line. Ask a question. Get back in line. I'll answer the next question. But I would talk forever, but I would sign up a milestorm. Like, I don't want to ever be Bill Shatner. Okay. I'd just be a dick to everybody, because that's just not me. But I would sign anything. I mean, if you're going to pay me $25,000 to show up, I'll sign anything you want. Foreheads. I'm not in that, but I'll sign it. Here you go. Goodbye. Well, that's good. So, I always thought in finishing this, why wasn't there a sequel? Because I really think it allows itself to have a sequel. Yeah, I I agree. I don't know why there hasn't been. I I think I think you can maybe even go in a supernatural element. Tucker and Dale versus vampires. Tucker yes. and Dale versus zombies or Tucker and Dale versus werewolves. I think you I think you could go in that direction with so those characters. So I, I like I said, I didn't say I hate I knew it wasn't for me halfway through. Mm-hmm. But I I could see that happening. No problem. Moving on, I guess. Yeah. Uh, now, this one we might have opposite opinions on. Drag Me to Hell, written and directed by Sam Raimi, starring oh, Allison Lohman, Justin Long, Ruth Livier, Lorna Raver. Uh, I will be 100% honest here. Not my favorite Sam Raimi film. Oh, we're totally I, going to war now. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I love Sam Raimi. I love the Evil Dead movies. I love his Spider-Man movies. Uh, this one just didn't do it for me. I, I think. Wow. I think my issue is I did, did not like Allison Lohman's character. I thought, I thought she, she, she's not even an anti-hero. She is, she is the villain of the piece, and I kind of was okay with her getting dragged to hell at the end. Uh, but yeah, I, I just did not have any character in this movie I could root for, and I think that's what brought it down for me. Uh, I do not love this movie, but I know a lot of people do. Oh, I have to disagree. This has one of my favorite fight scenes of all times in horror movies. That car fight scene when those old ladies try to get the button off. I love that. I'm like, oh my god, I love this scene. It's a full drag me out hell. 
I love Raimi for this film because the amount of puking on Loman. Constantly yes. getting fucked. Who opens the dead body? It's just drooling all over <laughs> you. I'm just like, that's a rabia effect right there. Every time Loman does something, she's getting spit on, drooled on, <laughs> hit. Is she likable? No. But my problem with Loman is she can't act. She got lucky with Match McMahon and Drag Me to Hell, and that was about it for her. I can't remember what else she did. She's retired from acting now. But I do have an Allison Loman story, but I'll tell you later. Actually, you know what? I'll tell you now. I'm at the film festival, and we're waiting for Rockwell. So this is after Matchwork Men. So it must have been after Dragon Ball Hell was filmed. This woman behind me is pushing, pushing, pushing behind me. So I'm in the first row, and this woman's pushing on me the whole time, yelling, Sam, Sam, Sam. And I'm like, you're not getting by me, lady. I don't know who you are. And it was Allison Lohman. Oh, really? was behind me, trying to get the attention of Sam Raimi. But she kept pushing me. I'm like, what do you want, lady? I didn't recognize Allison <laughs> at all. And then she sees Raimi. She's like, oh, Allison, come on over. And, of course, she gets to go over, and I was pissed off. I'm like, really? You couldn't have said, hey, I'm Allison Lohman, and I would have let you in? You know what? It probably was during Matchbook Men. Okay. Because she, she was in Matchbook Men, wasn't she? I, I will, I've never yes, seen that Allison movie. Allison plays mid Nicholas Cage's daughter in okay. Matchbook Men. So it must have been during Matchbook Men, and he must have had two films there, Rockwell, that year. Okay. That's why she should have been there. So there's my Allison Loman story. She's pushing on me. I'm like, <laughs> stop pushing me. And I'm yelling at Allison Loman. So there's my story. So I've never liked her since then. So okay. back to Drag Me to Hell. This is my issue with Justin Long. He never gets good. He's always okay. He does what mm-hmm. needs to be done. He's never been a good actor for me. Kevin Smith loves him. I don't know why. Because every movie I see him in, I'm like, oh, it's Justin Long. Great. Don't care. Even Barbarian, I have the same issue with Justin Long. He's not good enough actor. He's serviceable. I, I think he, that works for him, though, in Barbarian. Yeah, it's great in Barbarian because they wrote the script to make him that character. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work for him here. He's trying to be no. that nice guy. I'm like, can I have Sam Rockwell? Yeah. Can That's I have somebody more lovable than this guy? Because I don't buy he's dating Allison Lohman. They don't have any chemistry. No. And no. it's flat. Whenever he's on screen, I'm like, there's no way you're dating this chick. I, I honestly believe the chemistry between her and David Paymer more. Uh, oh, that was the, great. As, the, bo- as awesome. the boss subordinate relationship, I bought that a lot more. I love Pamer. I think that man does not get enough credit in how good an actor he is. Oh, yeah, he's brilliant. I, I do love him. I do, and I like, I did like the scene where they bust the chain, I go, sorry, should I say Asian, because I'm not sure what is that ethnicity <laughs> is, that gets busted, the other guy going for the job. I like that subtext, but that was kind of done in a couple scenes. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah, my biggest problem is the Allison Loman character just isn't likable. Not in any way. So I care when Bruce Campbell, when Ash gets all the blood and puke and torture. I care about Ash. I don't care about Allison Loman in this movie. So when that stuff happens to her, all right, fine, whatever. But I love my opinion. I love this film because that gore factor is at 10 for this film. 
And I like, uh, I love the scene when she goes to try to get rid of the curse and all the people are there and it's just going ballistic. I'm like, that's what makes Raimi so good. Mm-hmm. Like he knows how to film those scenes, edit those scenes, make those films seem real to me. Like Drag Me to Hell actually feels like it could have happened. I mean, yeah. obviously it's a little nuts when the woman has a fight. Obviously that's a little hyper. I get that. But I can see this happening. If hell really was a place, which many people think it is, you shouldn't watch this film. (laughs) (laughs) I love the end of the film. When she falls, I'm like, goodbye. The first time I saw this, I was like, what? My jaw dropped at the ending. Mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't see that coming. I love how they screwed up. I love the button scene, how they screwed that up. Mm -hmm. And I guess we're supposed to feel redemption for Loman when she takes the button back. From the guy, she goes, oh, I can't do this to you. Yeah, possibly. But we don't care because we don't like her at all. Yeah. I'm was- totally with you. But so this doesn't do it for you. Even that big scene at the funeral doesn't do it for you? No, I mean, there are fun scenes in it, but overall, I just leave the movie feeling, okay, it, it was it was okay. There's other Sam Raimi movies I'd rather watch. So why did you put this on the list then? Because I like discussing movies, and I wanted to see, talk with somebody who does like the movie, perhaps. Well, you wouldn't have known if I liked this movie. There's no way. No, that, no that way. is true. But I do know I'm definitely in the minority of not liking the movie, so... Well, you see, that's my job, <laughs> is being in the minority of everything. That's fair. But I, I, I wanted to discuss it, see... Hopefully that you would have liked this movie and we could see where we differ. Because people kind of realize, me and Doug do talk, but it's usually not about movies. Yes. It's like, hey, how's everything going, this and that. We do talk about movies, but not a lot on the show. More of what's up and coming and casual things like that. Mm-hmm. And more making, discussing when recording takes a while. But, yeah. yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah, I've seen, I think, every Raimi film that I know of. Mm-hmm. I think there's one I haven't seen, the baseball one, for Love of the Game. I have to check if I've seen that. I might have. I don't know. That's the only one I haven't seen. Well, I don't know. Well, just so everybody knows in this thing, Doug has been doing his Facebook every day on 31 days of Halloween. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doug said, sure, getting annoyed with my one-word comments. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> really good. <laughs> yes. So. And... The next movie we're discussing is not one I've put on yet. I, I have not recommended this one yet. It's uh, Pontypool, uh, written by Tony Burgess, directed by Bruce McDonald, starring Stephen McCaddy, Lisa Houle, Georgina Riley, uh, and a bunch of other people who are zombies. Uh do you want me to start, or do you want to go first on this one? Uh, I can go first. I don't mind it anyway. Okay. This was painful. Oh, my God. This was so painful for me. Absolutely found, other than the radio disc jockey, I found everybody interesting in this film. Uh, the script just drags on and on. And I'm like, I don't care. Don't care. Oh, wait. So the zombies get affected by work, really? That's where we're going? And then they have to switch to French? Because French words are okay? I'm like, I I give up. 
I, I did not like this. And I actually did look up where Pontypool is. And it's about okay. 40 minutes from me. I could be in Pontypool. Nice. So I will take a photo one day when I make it to Pontypool just to show you I've been to Pontypool. <laughs> I don't get this film. I mean, I understand it's a one location. It's Canadian. Not that there's an issue with Canadian, but it definitely felt like it had too small a budget for what they yep. wanted to do. And I think that was the big thing. And the wrap up is so bad at the end. Like the airplane guys are coming over. Can you please got your podcast? I'm like, really? Because he's cured her. So should he be able to cure other people? Possibly. Oh. I I had a the opposite. I I actually really oh. enjoyed this movie. Wow. I thought, first of all, I'm a zombie film fanatic, so I love oh when when zombie films are different. And this one, it's not you get bit; it's an earworm. It's auditory that turns people into zombies. I thought this was a really clever way to do a low-budget zombie film. Uh, it, it harkened back to me to uh, Romero's Night of the Living Dead. It was a one-location, uh, but because it was a radio station, you still had people calling in. You still had people out on scenes so you could hear what's going on. I thought it was a really clever way to do a low-budget zombie film. And I thought the actors were all uniformly good. Uh, at the same time this movie originally came out, I remember seeing uh, Stephen McHattie show up in a bunch of places uh, at around the same time he was in Watchmen, uh, the Zack Snyder film. And I had never seen him before, so to see him popping up in all these different films at once, I was like, oh, he's actually a guy that, I could look for. He he seems to be this character actor who just knows what he's good at and does it. I I really liked Fonty Pool. I don't know what to say. So what did you think about the premise though? That people are just I thought the first zombie shot was pretty good when the receptionist or whatever the woman that runs the switchboard goes all over the screen. <laughs> that kind of worked, but nothing else worked for me. I thought it was I thought it was creepy as hell when they had that actor troop in and they That was started, just bizarre. And they started turning I I thought it worked. I, I like that it was auditory that you can kind of protect yourself from being bit by zombies if you wear the proper if you wear leather clothes or whatnot, can't really bite through that. But auditory, what are you going to do? Are you going to stuff your ears so you can't hear? I I like that. It was something different. It was a new take on how zombies are spread, how how the sickness spreads, and I like that. I don't know. I was trying hard to like this. I gave it every effort. It felt very Canadian to me with the cast because I recognized like, oh, it's okay. Canadian cast. I, I know them. I think maybe my biggest problem with this, I am one of these people that's been listening to the radio since I was young. So I still, when I go to bed, put on talking in my ear to sleep. So it's just my white noise is talking. And when I was single, living by myself, it would be Tom Snyder. And when Tom Snyder stopped recording, I switched to sports radio. Didn't care who was talking. It would just be noise for me for comfort. So maybe that's what this reminded me of. It just put me to sleep, but I didn't notice because that's That's just my... Nighttime routine. 
Um, other than the disc jockey, like I said, I didn't think any of the acting was special. Like that troop reminded me of just some bad Canadian production that I would have to sit through in <laughs> public school because we don't have any money. Maybe you feel the same when you went to school. You're like, oh, it's that bad play troops back. Yeah. <laughs> Doing some, I'm like, oh, these guys are terrible. I don't know. It it just worked for me. I I, I thought because they're not supposed to be a great troop of actors. Oh, definitely not. Local, I thought it worked. I, I it worked for me. I I don't know what to say. It, I appreciated the low-budget aspects of it. And one you had already seen, but I hadn't seen it, so I tried to put on films that I hadn't seen. Okay. And now I guess we could go back a little farther in time and discuss the original Hellraiser. Which I actually just watched last year, so I'm pretty fresh on it. Okay. Written and directed by Clive Barker, starring Andrew Robinson, Claire Higgins... Ashley Lawrence, Sean Chapman, and Doug Bradley as the original Pinhead. I think I first saw this movie when I was way too young, probably like 15 or 16 when it came out. Okay. Scared the crap out of me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nightmares for years with the Cinnabites. And uh, I just went back to first time in years to revisit it last year. I'm like, this movie still is creepy as hell. Oh, my God. Hey, they got it right. That cheap budget they had of no money freaked the hell out of me. You know what the scene that did it for me? When the woman clocks her husband in the head with a hammer. Okay. That's what did me in. As a kid, I'm like, what the hell am I watching? And then Pinhead, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I can't handle this. So I think that was my destruction for horror movies for 20 years. <laughs> I didn't watch horror movies for years other than Universal Monster movies and Hammer Horror I wouldn't go any deeper than that because of this movie. Scared the friggin' bejesus out of me as a kid. Nice. So I'm telling you, this thing was not for me. And anyway, now I love it. (laughs) Now looking back, I'm like, this is great. I've seen the whole franchise. I love the makeup on this. I really like the costuming. Really convinced me that hell was a real place Mm -hmm. because of this. And then the new one, I don't get that sense that I did here. Like, I really thought these people were going to eat me alive as a kid. And even watching it now older, I really felt they were real. The Pinheads was real. Everybody was real in this film. I felt every character was pretty much fleshed out. Every had motivation. And I just loved this film. Yeah, uh, with this movie, what I really enjoy about it is the Cenobites are not the evil in this movie. No, definitely not. It's Frank. Uh, and there are, like you said, there are visuals in this movie that will stick with me. Frank walking around with no skin. Yeah, it's so cool. That, that is something that the new Hellraiser was missing. The Mm -hmm. new Hellraiser did not get gnarly like that. This one, you have Frank walking around with no skin. You have him standing over the bed skinning a rat. While, while, uh, oh, I forget, the character's name is escaping me now. While, uh, Julia is having sex with somebody else, he's standing there skinning a rat, and it's, it is, it's this dark sexuality that was missing from the, from the new one that is all Clive Barker, and it's the pleasure pain principle. Frank knows exactly what he 
wants in this movie. And I, I love it. It is dark. It has like very small budget, but it uses it effectively. The makeup is astounding. Just the visuals. I, I loved it. It, it is dark and disturbing. And that's what was missing from the new Hellraiser for me. It, it was the Barker touch that that I missed in the new one that you get on full display here. I agree. I, I think this film should be seen by everyone. This is what horror is to me. This is what sets the standard. This and Friday the 13th. No, sorry, wrong film. Nightmare on Elm Street 1. I just okay. think for the budget it works. It gets it gets very gritty, and they they're not like cutting corners. They kind of just get to where they need to go quickly because they don't have time to waste on things. And there and there wasn't a ton of characters. There was just a handful of characters that you get to know. You get to know Frank. You get to know Julia. You get to know Kirsty. Uh, and now I'm forgetting her father's name. But Frank but, and but Julia you, are an evil pair. Yes, and, and that's it. You get to know them, though. Uh, the Cenobites are kind of secondary to their to. Uh, but that's Frank what makes Julia's it work. Evil. We don't want the Cenobites yep. to be Freddy. I don't want a Cenobite to be mm-hmm. Jason. I want the Cenobites to show up when they're needed to show up. Yes. And that's why it works so well here. And the cube, when they're playing with that cube mm -hmm. here, they're always focusing in, and I like it. And they do a bit of the cube work, which we didn't get into last week. We discussed the new one. They do get into cube work, which I think is so important with these films. Mm -hmm. It's the cube. you got to discuss the cube. Yeah, and and I like that the Cenobites are not good or evil. No. They just are. They show up where they're needed. They show up and do what they have to do. But it's all dispassionate. They're not hunt down because you wronged them. It's just you messed with the box. We have to come and do what we have to do. But if somebody else is there, they may, they probably wouldn't go after them if they didn't mess with the box. It's just their job. Now, me and you watch a lot of horror movies now, at least I do. Now, if somebody, a box randomly shows up at my door, I'm not touching that thing. No, burn it. Just burn it. I'd be like shipping it to your house. You could put it in your display case with the wet samples, dry yeah. samples. Yeah, the we, other hot, I'm just shipping it. it right to you. Because I could be like, nope, nope, don't touch that. <laughs> nope, don't play with it. Back it goes. RTS. Don't want to hear by that name. <laughs> like, that's what I find weird in these films. They find these cubes, mm-hmm. and they start playing with them. I'm like, what are you idiots doing? Well, that was, Frank's, that was Frank's plan. Frank knew what the cube did, so. I know. Frank was smart. Yeah, to a point. <laughs> just evil, where he wears his brother's skin at the end. That's oh, just so good. Well, he needed a body. Yeah, it's just, oh, it. it it's what was lacking in the new Hellraiser for me. It, it's those it wasn't gory weird, enough and nor yeah. creepy enough. Oh, weird. Maybe you know what? Yeah. That's the problem. You were right. This is a weird horror movie. Yes. And it gets into your head. The other one never got in my head. It felt very, it was okay, like I and, said. And Frank's final Jesus wept. That's just, oh, it, it 
Clive Barker, I think, knows what he's doing visually, and and it just it shows. Whether you like his movies or not, they are visually different from other horror films. I would say. Now, my question: Why isn't Weave World a movie? Probably budgetary reasons. That I don't think you could do that small scale. I read the book a long time ago. I haven't read that one, but I've read some of his other big stuff, like The Great and Secret Show. Uh, I think the sequel to that was Everville. And those books are just huge, and there is no way you could do that on a small budget or even maybe try to condense it to a two-hour film. They they are just huge and epic my argument is he's as good as a writer as King, and King keeps getting film after film after film after film after film, even part one and two and it. Mm-hmm. So Weave World part one and two should be there by now. Yeah, I, I think Barker is just a different taste, though, because he does have that weird, dark sexuality that Stephen King has that as well, but those elements can be excised from the story very easily. With Barker, it's just so ingrained into the characters that it's hard to excise, and you will not get as big an audience with that dark sexual aspects of it that you would with just a straight-up horror film. Well, there's Dean R. then, because that's pretty much Stephen King, light Stephen King. Yeah, he's but he doesn't have this Hollywood success that King does. Is there, I don't even know if there's a Dean Arcoon's movie. Watchers and Phantoms, because Ben Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Yeah, I've seen it. Well, shall we head back in time for horror now and head to the 50s to discuss the horror of Dracula? Yes. Uh, written by Jimmy Sangster, directed by Terrence Fisher. Starring Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and Michael Goh. Um, do you want me to go first? No, I want to go first because you're going to rip okay. me apart, so I'll start. I didn't hate this. I want that stayed ahead of time. Okay. I found they had no money to do what they wanted to do in this film. I found – I could tell they shot the whole thing, it looks like, on five sets. Or maybe it was the same set just adjusted. I felt bad for them. Because that opening Christopher Lee fight was terrible. I'm like, oh, bad blocking guys. But I know you have no money to reshoot this. Maybe it was a time thing. I think it was an okay start for a gigantic franchise that lasted for years. But not good. I felt they kind of trimmed the book down to about five decent scenes and just said, okay, we're going to use these. I'm like... You guys are not really selling the Dracula lore here. You know that. You're just taking the highlights. Say, okay, we got an opening plot. We're going to do a middle plot quickly. And they're all the same. The, all the plots are the same, just with a slight twist. I'm like, okay, guys. I don't know how this thing became so big. I guess people just like Christopher Lee, which I do too. I have no issues with Dracula. And like Peter Cushing, because I kept going, Tarkin. There's Kirk. <laughs> so I kept saying to myself, 
I don't like this film at all. It's choppy, badly edited, has no flow to it. But, I mean, it's the first one of a franchise. I get it. A monster franchise that lasted forever. Yes. But I just felt it had not enough money, and it was too choppy for me. But I know the Dracula story. <laughs> and I've read the book, so maybe that's my problem. I know I'm too in touch with the source material. <laughs> All right, well, I, I guess I can give my opposite opinion. <laughs> I knew that was coming. This, this is my all-time favorite a- adaptation of Dracula. What? Uh, it, yeah, it, it, like you said, it doesn't do a word-for-word adaptation of the novel. It, it picks and chooses, but it is my favorite adaptation. I love Christopher Lee as Dracula. I think... I, I have a giant tattoo on my leg of Christopher Lee's Dracula. Uh, yeah, this movie, it just works for me. When, when you first see Christopher Lee and he's introduced, he's at the top of the stairs. He's this giant regal man and he just lords over everything. It's beautifully visual filmmaking that he is this imposing dude. And then later on, when uh, the brides are going after uh, Renfield, or I guess, uh, I forget if it's Renfield or Harker, they, they kind of merge both characters into one. Uh, actually, it's Arthur, no, not Arthur Homewood. Uh, anyway, whatever the character, but when Dracula comes in and stops the bride's attack, just he is a monster he is vicious he he is not somebody you want to kiss or anything and that's what that is my biggest takeaway is all these new dracula movies make him this romantic character i like it when dracula is a monster and is not romantic at all and that's what you get here and i love Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee playing off each other. Uh, they became two great friends, like lifelong friends through working in horror, uh, hammer horror together. And I love the chemistry they have together. Even if Christopher Lee is pretty much a silent character, just hissing and growling at, at Peter Cushing it works. I, I love this movie. I love the visual aspects of it. Uh, Christopher Lee making a giant cross out of the windmill. I, I love it. It, it. it works. And like I said, it's my favorite Dracula adaptation. Hold on. I want to back this up a bit. Um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of weird when he finds Dracula's coffin. I'm just going to leave my cross here. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> it just drops, and I'm yeah. like, what? Okay, and walks out the door. And I'm like, okay. And then gets to Dracula's castle and doesn't bring more stuff for them? Yeah. I'm kind of like, you, you're the guy reading the book and talking to yourself, say, telling us basically how to defeat Dracula with a thing. And the butler comes in, sure, did you talk? No, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so... You know how to kill Draco. Like, you've been reading this stuff, you figured it out, but you don't bring anything with you? 
Well, maybe it was just a scouting mission. He didn't realize. Definitely that, not. Uh, he knew that was the castle. The he yeah. got the book. He knew because Harker's his, um, his buddy. His buddy, the guy that wrote the book. So he knows the guy. So there's my issue right there. I'm just like, no, I have problems right there when he shows up that has nothing. And then he makes his own cross. I'm like, there's no way Trachio would be. No, sorry. No, not giving it that one, guys. But I, as soon as they showed the window, I'm like, oh, Dracula's done. He's, that window's going to kill him. And I like the Dracula scene. When the foot goes and fades, I'm like, okay, I'll give him that one. I thought that was a pretty solid technique for its time. Yeah, and it, it was also, I, it's short. It was under 90 minutes long. And I love it when movies just get in, tell their story, and get out like that. Like, it didn't really leave a lot of uh, unused potential, I would say. It just went in, used its runtime, told its story, and got out. And I like that. I, I don't need a two-and-a-half-hour version of Dracula. I thought this was a really good way to tell the story. Took a lot of liberties with the source material. Yeah, just a bit. But I'm fine with that. There are other adaptations that are more, uh, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, honest to the source material. But nine times out of ten, I'd watch this one over Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Oh, I would uh, too. It's a much more fun film. Yeah. Coppola needs some work with his. Other than Oldman, it's just amazing. Um, I, I yeah. also like Anthony Hopkins as as uh, Van Helsing in that one. I do. I got to say, people, I have watched a lot of Hammer Horror. There's, I'm <laughs> getting close to finishing all of them. So one of these days, maybe we'll just sit down and I'll figure out what ones I haven't seen because a uh, buddy of mine's a huge Hammer Horror fan. So every time we go for we watch one or two of them. That oh, I haven't awesome. seen. So I, I'm pretty really, thanks to him and his, uh, VHS collection. And yes, we do watch about <laughs> VHS because he's taped them over the years. He has probably, I don't know, about four or five hundred VHS tapes oh, wow. with two or three movies on them. So that's what we watch. Whatever he puts on is what I watch when I go over. And I usually see him two or three times a year because he lives about an hour away. And then we sit and watch movies and then I come home. Nice. And Hammer Horror's fun. Our next film is 1944's The Uninvited, written by Dodie Smith, Frank Partos, directed by Lewis Allen, starring Ray Milland, Ruth Hussey, Donald Crisp, Cornelia Otis Skinner, and Gail Russell. Now, you asked earlier why I'm wearing a Criterion Collection hat. Uh... That's how I saw this movie. It was It's on Criterion Collection Blu-ray. And a few years ago, my wife and I sat down and watched this. Uh, we love old-time haunted house movies. Uh, nothing can compare to Robert Wise's The Haunting, in my opinion. But I enjoyed this movie. It's a, a brother and sister who fall in love with a house on a cliff and decide to buy it. Uh I thought that I was didn't see this. right there. Doug, I, I thought we dropped this movie. Oh, no. I didn't watch this at all, so talk oh, about it away. I, I thought we dropped okay. it when we did the list. So I'll leave this in. No. I didn't watch this. 
the ones we dropped were Sexy Killer and Cemetery Man. Oh, see, uh, there's where we disagree. I okay. want Cemetery Man. Okay, I didn't because I said <laughs> I okay. needed a copy. Well, this is too funny, okay. so I got confused. So I didn't watch, <laughs> I watched Cemetery Man. I'm like, I didn't, okay. I didn't, I didn't watch Uninvited. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So go ahead and discuss well, I can, it because I, I, I cannot can, help you can, in any way. I can talk about Uninvited and you could discuss uh, Cemetery That's too funny. So there you go, people. We, <laughs> I, we both yes. come like, Uninvited. I dropped Uninvited because I'm sure that's the movie we agreed to drop. No, that's I, too I, funny. Okay. Because I watched Cemetery Man. Okay. <laughs> Instead of Uninvited, I'm like Uninvited. I thought we dropped that. No, I'm sorry. My uh, bad. So this is funny. You can talk about Uninvited. Okay. I will talk about Cemetery Man. All right. Well, Uninvited. It, it's a it's a haunted house film from the 40s. Uh, starring Ray Meland, an actor you and I discussed last episode for Lost Weekend. This is too funny. Uh, I never miss movies. Actually, once <laughs> it did happen, but I did catch up. That's too funny. No, I have not seen this. So talk away, a movie I have not seen. Okay, yeah, it, it's it's a brother and sister who buy this house from a uh, from from an old military man who whose daughter had uh, passed away there, and. While in town, uh, the brother, Ray Milan's character, meets Stella, who is the daughter of the woman who died there, so the military man's granddaughter, and she wants to go visit the house where her mother passed away and just has these uneasy feelings. There, there's a cold draft on the staircase. Uh, it's very typical, classic haunted house film so you're saying i would have loved this it's possible how, how do you how do you feel about robert wise's the haunting i've never seen it really well that's nope. going on my list that that i think is the okay well i'm going to tell viewers just so they know by the next episode we do of extra features i will lead off with my review of the uninvited okay i will watch this positively because that was just a clear little error on my part <laughs> But yeah, th this is it, it. It's what you want from a 1940s. Oh, that I'm in because I love 1940s. Yeah, it, it, it's it's beautiful. It, it, uh, Ray Milland gives a really good performance. Uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's not an easy one to recommend if you're looking for if you're looking for something like. Uh, the Haunting, or uh, The Haunting of Hill House, something like that, because uh, it, it is a slow burn. Uh, there there are no jump scares or anything in it, so it's not an easy recommend for somebody looking for a scary, spooky horror film. But this one, it, it it's more a gothic story. It, it's it's a gothic romance. It, it doesn't have the jump scares. But it does have the characters. It has the emotion. It's uh, it, it's definitely one that if you're a cinephile, I don't like using that word, but if you're not looking for something terrifying, it is a good haunted house story. Hold on. Why don't you let's back this up? I'm going to watch this. I'm sorry, people. Okay. You tuned in for the man that watches everything. I do watch everything on the list. I just somehow got to miss. <laughs> 
How are you not a cinephile? Let's back this up. You, I'm going to look up the definition of cinephile right now. And I'm convinced okay. it has a picture of you on it. Oh, no, I'm saying I, I, it's hard to recommend to people who aren't cinephiles. If, See, if people are just looking for a fun haunted house movie, this might not be for them. It, it, it is a little slow. So here's my thing. This is just a direct definition from the dictionary cinephile. A person who is fond of motion pictures. Now, i got to say, that is the worst definition of cinephile I've ever read. Yes. I, I definitely disagree with that statement. That is not a cinephile. A cinephile is somebody that goes out and searches for films they have not seen. Yes. I, and I, I would, think that's going to be that. part of the definition. You have We have more than fondness for movies. Yes. Like, my that daughter is. has a fondness for films. Mm-hmm. But she is not me. Like, I have to see everything I haven't seen. Hence, I don't have a movie collection anymore for a reason. I'm not going to rewatch things anymore, unless I do for the show. I do not make any effort to watch things. Again, obviously, if somebody wants to watch, I will watch it with them. But I'm literally, if I showed up at your house with that stuff fully with a cross in front of it or something, because I'm not coming in otherwise, <laughs> I will go to your collection and literally go through it and pick a film I haven't seen okay, or heard of. And, and you, you probably would be in agreement with me. It'll probably be something you haven't watched yourself. And to me, that's what a cinephile does. Like when I go to people's houses... And they have a DVD collection, or they can't. I'm like, oh, can I see your DVD collection? Oh, sure. I go through it looking for things I haven't seen. Okay. And sometimes I find nothing. Sometimes I find, like, Indian Summer, which I hadn't seen, which I didn't think was a bad film. I'd never even heard of it. Okay. So, I mean, that's what I figure a cinephile does. Digs for those films they haven't seen and just talks about them afterwards. Yeah, and this... This movie would be a good example of something a cinephile would look for because it's not on anybody's list of the greatest haunted house movies right. ever made. But if you're looking, I came about it in a weird way by, okay, Ray Milland, I, I was going through Billy Wilder stuff and I watched Lost Weekend. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Ray Milland won the best actor Oscar for that. What else has he done? Oh, I see he's done this haunted house movie from the 40s. My wife loves haunted house movies. Is this available anywhere? You have a haunted house. (laughs) And I looked, is it available anywhere? Oh, yeah. Criterion has a Blu-ray of it. Let me order that. My wife and I Hold on. Did you get a discount this time? I don't remember. Then you can't order it. They have a sale like four times a year. Just wait. Yes. But... But, yeah, so I I don't remember if I got it at the 50% off sale or not, but I got it, we watched it, and we both really enjoyed it because we like I'm hoping I will, too. Movies. So So I have another film to watch. So so do you want to discuss uh, The Cemetery Man? Yes, which I wanted to discuss with you because it's insane. I I will be honest. I have not seen that since it probably came out in 94. Uh, I, I worked at a video store, so I took home the rental one night, uh, but I have not seen it since 94. Uh, written by Tiziano Scalvi, 
uh, that's whose novel it's based on. Uh, screenplay by Gianni Romali, directed by Michelle Solavi, uh, starring Rupert Everett. Uh, he's the big actor in it. Uh, I have not seen this in over 20 years, so I will let you give your opinions on it. Um, I would say I would recommend this film if they want something bonkers. Completely out there. This film has it all. It is strange. It's a zombie film, which I love. I do, like you, like zombie films. Um, this has one of the hottest actresses I've ever seen in my life. In the lead. And I'm like, oh my god, that woman is gorgeous. And she gets full on naked. My jaw dropped. I'm like, wow. Absolutely amazing. And then it's like, they meet in the cemetery, they have sex, and her husband comes back to life. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then the other guy brings something, his wife eats him. I'm like, what is going on? And at the same time, the cemetery man's knocking off people left, right, and center, dropping bodies here, dropping bodies there. I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. I'm kind of into this. Then the second half of the movie goes bonkers. He starts killing everybody. And goes to some hospital, starts shooting people, and I'm like, I don't know what what's going on now. Is this a fever dream? Is he this? But the detective knows it's not him because he's impotent. I'm like, I, this does not making sense in the second half. It literally makes no sense to me at all. But I love it. I'm still on board. And then at the end of the film, he drives and has to stop because he found the end of the world. And then the film ends. I'm kind of like, I need a, a definite director's cut to explain to me what the hell is going on because I don't understand this last part of this film in any way. I forget. Was it in like a snow globe or something at the end? Is that what it is? I it's been over 20 years since I've seen this, so I, I don't remember. Well, that would make sense but, to me, but the film yeah. literally makes no sense. I really did not understand the second half of the film. If it's in a slow globe, I get it. But no, because he's driving on the road, the road just kind of stops, and it looks like it fell open through an earthquake or something. Okay. It's not like he hit something. He just stops. I, I, I don't know how to describe this film to people. I do have a good Rupert Everett story, but I'll get there at the end. Okay. Um, it's just a bizarre film. Even when he's in the hospital ward killing the doctor and patients and this and that, he runs into the detective again. And the detective goes, oh, good, you got a gun. There's a madman on the loose. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? It's just like theater of the bazaar. So I don't know whether to hate Cemetery Man or recommend Cemetery Man. It's just really bonkers. Yeah, the, the, wrap, one, the one thing you? I clearly remember is the sex scene. It, oh, it, my it, God. The woman is beautiful. Yeah, that, that, that is the one thing and I remember. And she still looks good. I looked her up. She's my age and looks amazing. So good for her. Yes. So my Rupert Everett story. So I am courting my beloved betrothed at this time. <laughs> and she goes, you have to watch this movie. My best friend's wedding. So I'm sitting there, and I'm watching. I'm like, oh, this is really good. I, I don't mind this. She goes, good. I can't marry you if you hated this movie. <laughs> so Rupert Everett does a play here a few years ago, and I meet him, and I tell him this story. 
that my wife told me I couldn't marry her if I didn't like your best friend's wedding. And he goes to me, are you still together? <laughs> and I said, yes. He goes, oh, great. So that's my Rupert Hepburn story. Nice. So I thought that's a funny story to tell. So, um, Cemetery Men's Weird, I want to again apologize to the listeners that I did not see Uninvited. That was just a, an error between me and Doug in discussing things, but I will rectify that. Um, the last thing I want to discuss has got nothing to do with Doug, that um, I got invited to the film festival, which I stated to you, and I, I think I said it earlier, that I'm watching the After Dark Film Festival. Well, they sent me screeners. So I went through and looked at titles. They have a movie called Life with Chucky. There's no screener. I have to physically request a screener for the distribution company. I'm like, why would you not send me a screener on Chucky? So I've sent the email in requesting Life with Chucky. So me and Doug, hopefully, coming up on the next episode, if I get a screener, we'll be getting a sneak preview of Life with Chucky. And we're going to talk about it, but we don't know people. So before we go, we have a couple things I have to go over. Extra features at gmail.com. Extra features on Patreon. It's the first time I'm announcing it, but it's been up for a while, but I never promote it because I always forget. And we have some really cheap stuff. There's some fun little tiers for a dollar. Trust me, you guys can make my life hell. Just pay the dollar. You can go nuts. And I guess that's it. I don't have one thing left to say. And Doug even knows what it is. Yep. If they make it, we will watch it except for one, which we get confused about. Thank you. Goodbye. Good night.